Uh, my name is Prentice. I'm the pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. And we're so glad that you are here this morning, whether it's your first time or whether you've been here for a while. I just want to say good morning to you. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? All right. I'm glad you guys are doing well. Well, last week we started a new sermon series called Summer Shorts. Uh, and what Summer Shorts is all about is we're going to be looking at the shorter, the smaller, uh, and maybe a little bit more of the obscure books uh, in the Bible. And uh, maybe books that you've never read before or, or maybe books that, uh, that you've never even heard of. And so we're going to look at Nahum, Habakkuk, uh, Haggai, and, and some of the stuff in the New Testament like, like Jude, and as soon as I say Jude, what song comes to mind? Right? Yeah, I figured. Yes. And this morning, we will be looking at the book of Joel. And I have 30 minutes to talk about the entire book of Joel. And so we are going to take a cursory reading of the book of Joel, where it seems to be, it seems to be that the main central theme of Joel is this one word that keeps coming over and over and over again uh, that I think has been hijacked a bit, that has become uh, kind of a bad word, that's kind of uh, developed kind of a bad reputation. And, and it's this word repentance. I know, super churchy. Uh, and, and we've seen the word repentance before. As a matter of fact, just uh, on the 4th of July, we went to... Uh, Gasworks, and it was crazy. It was a madhouse. On my way out, we saw people with a big sign that says, repent or go to hell. Repent and all this bad news. And I, and I just want to say, I really believe that uh, there's a redemptive aspect of this word repentance. And so that's what Joel talks about today is this idea of repentance and what is required in repentance is what we'll take a look at. And what's required in repentance is, is this ecosystem uh, of lament, uh, of confession, and of hope. Of lament, of confession, and of hope. And so uh, our main text comes from Joel chapter 2, verse 12 through 14, and I'll just read it for you. The word of the Lord says this, Yet even now, says the Lord, Yet even now, return to me with your hearts, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him and a grain of offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we have the, the opportunity, the privilege to hear from you, God. So push me out of the way. And God, bring a hard message, things that we need to hear, and convict us of the ways that we've just been out of sync with you. And bring us back to our first love, to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So a few months ago, or actually a few winters ago, I... Uh, we went, I went snowboarding. I love snowboarding. It's one of my favorite winter sports. Uh, and whether you're a skier or a snowboarder or whatever, do you know the excitement of snowboarding or skiing? 
And I remember this one run, I went with a group of friends. As a matter of fact, I went with, uh, with Rachel, who was our family ministry coordinator, who's downstairs with a dozen or so volunteers, uh, with her now husband, with Dan, uh, and a few others. We went snowboarding, and it was an incredible time. We're going up and down the slopes. Uh, we're going this way and that way. And finally, on our last run, we decided to do something different. On the last run, we decided to take an alternate route. Uh, and, and they were like, let's go this way. And all I saw was trees, 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 trees. And I thought to myself, well, I don't really want to do this, uh, but they all do. So I said, all right, let's go. Uh, and, and it was incredible because there was a lot of trees and it was what we call fresh powder, fresh tracks. Like no one went on this route and later to find out f- for good reason. And as we were going, we're going down together. We left as a group. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm with friends. I'm okay. And I was going down. But I was so focused on not hitting a tree. I was so focused on not dying that uh, I kind of lost sight of of my crew, of my friends. And all of a sudden, uh, without any warning, I, I fall, I crash, I get up, and I look around, and nobody is there. And nobody was around. And I started yelling. I, I, I got freaked out. I said, Dan, nothing, nobody. I mean, it was dead silent. I said, Rachel, nobody. Dead silent. And I, wouldn't, I never admitted this. And if they're here, if they're listening, uh, they'll know the truth. That I was absolutely terrified. So I remember getting back on my snowboard and I kept on going down. All right, I just got to go down. Maybe I'll hit something. Uh, maybe I'll hit a road or, or, or parking lot or, or whatever it is. I, I don't know. So I kept going. And then as I was going, to make matters worse, there was a big sign on a tree that said, uh, ski patrol ends at this point. Ski, and so I stop. I look up. I can't climb back up. The only way is down. So I kept going, really freaked out. And it was like dead silent. You can hear a pin drop. Uh, and... and Actually, the worst part was, and I kid you not, true story, just a few days before that, I watched this movie uh, that just came out called The Revenant. And and this movie about Revenant where where Leonardo DiCaprio plays this guy who's roaming around the mountains. Uh, He gets attacked by a bear. He gets chased around by the locals. uh, And and people just want to kill him. And to make matters worse, he had to cut open a a horse and sleep inside, if you've seen the movie, you've seen this part, where he cuts up on the horse, and he sleeps inside the horse to stay warm. And, and as I was going there, and as I was terrified as I was, I remember thinking, none of those I want to do today. None of those I want to happen today. So I, so I kept going, and then all of a sudden, I saw another sign. And, it, and the sign said, return to parking lot with an arrow to the right. And that was a sweet sign. That was a sweet thing. And mind you, we were at Stevens Pass, by the way. And I was going down, and I followed the sign. I, I finally hit a parking lot. I took off my snowboard, and I said, I was looking around, and I thought, this is the clear opposite side of the parking lot that we started on. How did I end up here? And, and so I walked back the long trek to our original meeting space, to our parking lot, and I went to the lodge. And I remember seeing my group of friends just waiting for me. And I'll tell you what, that sign, return to parking lot, return. When I took that sign that said return, and I saw the group of friends that I had, I thought to myself, 
this is incredible. Never, even to this day, have I been so excited to see these friends. Although I saw them today and I was really excited to see you, don't worry. But on that day, there was never a time where I was so excited than at that moment. See, when I followed the sign that said return, it wasn't just a return to my group. It was a return from fear to safety. It was a return from anxiety to peace. It was a, it was a return from uncertainty to confidence. And in a similar way, Joel's message of repentance to his people is very similar. Joel is saying somewhere along the way you have veered off. Somewhere along the way you have taken the wrong turn. And Joel says the message today is for you to return back to your God. There's something out of sync that is happening with God's people as we read this. Joel's message, as most prophets are, weren't very popular. God uses these prophets to speak through them, to speak a very difficult message to God's own people. And so Joel's message was saying, there's something about your life. Something about your attitude, something about your behavior, something about the way you treat people, something the way that you treat God, something's missing, something's not right. You're not thriving in life, you're not flourishing, something about you is out of sync with God, and, and repent is what Joel's message is. And for some of us, and for many of us, I would say all of us here that claim to be followers, believers of Jesus, you know what it feels like to be out of sync with God. You know what it feels like in your faith journey to have taken a wrong turn. Or to slowly have drifted this way or that way and not even know. So we've all felt that as followers of Christ. We know what it feels like to have drifted off. And for those of you that don't claim to be followers of, uh, of Jesus, I want to say thank you for being here, for taking a risk on entering into a church where uh, history has shown the church has not been the kindest, most loving, most acceptance place. But here, we hope that you know that you are loved and we are committed to you and we're for you. But whether you are a follower of Jesus, whether you are just checking things out or you're far away, you want nothing to do with God, we all have something in common. And that commonality is this. We all understand the feeling of just being out of sync. And for those of us that are Christians, we understand, it's our understanding, is that we're out of sync in our relationship with God. Just the other day, actually just yesterday, I went to the grocery store. I was going to a barbecue. It was an incredible barbecue. Uh, and I had to bring a side dish. And so I went to the store, and I got uh, one thing. I got a fruit salad. I love fruit salads. And, and I got to the front of the grocery store, uh, and it was packed. There was lines everywhere. And, and I saw a sign that said express, express lane, 15 items or less. And so I take my one item. I get in line, and in front of me is a woman with several different grocery items, and it, well over 15 items for sure. And I remember, for some reason, I was really angry. I was in a hurry. I need to get to this barbecue. I need to go. It says 15 items or less. Why? I'm thinking in my mind, why are you in this lane? 
And finally, it was her turn, and she was getting scanned and scanned. And at the end of it, there was four bags. Yes, I counted. Four bags of grocery in the 15 or less lane. And I was being, okay, I'll, I'll confess, I was a little passive aggressive. I remember looking at her, and I made eye contact with her. She made eye contact with me. We saw each other. As she was looking at me, I looked over at that sign. <laughs> and I looked over back at her again, didn't say anything, just so she knows that I know. And then I thought to myself, why was I so angry? So we've all felt anger. We've all felt sadness. We've all made bad decisions. We've all been this way and that way. We all understand when we have been out of sync with God. And then here in Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us examples. Let me just read a few to you. Uh, chapter 5, verse 19 <clears throat> It says this, it says, now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, coercing, uh, things like this. Paul describes as, man, when you, when you experience this, you're not living the life that God has called you to. You are out of sync. Have you ever been angry? Have you ever been jealous? Have you ever been envy? Have you ever started a fight? Have you ever argued with somebody? Paul says in Galatians, those are all signs, indications that something in your faith journey, something in your relationship with God, it, it's not quite right. And then on the other side, uh, he's, Paul says this. He says, by contrast... He says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the habits, on, in contrast, where you know that you're actually aligned with God. You're actually walking the path that God is guiding you through, that God has created you to be, a life that God has created you to live. It's this contrast. We know when we're at a sink, when we, and we know that we're walking in tune. And one of the questions this morning is, are you in sync with God? And I ask myself every day, am I in sync with God? Again, is there anger, is there envy, is there pride, is there addiction, is there idolatry? And for a lot of us, idolatry comes in all shapes and sizes. Is it the love of money? The overwhelming need for, for success and upward mobility, for fame, for, for certain type of relationships? Has that been invading your heart? Is that what has been consuming you? Is that what's throwing you off track in our journey with our creator? And we get back to Joel here. Uh, and Joel says, if this is you, if you've said yes to any of this, Joel's message is as real for us today than it was back when Joel wrote this book. But in order for us to understand the wholeness of Joel, we have to understand the background a little bit. So what was happening in Joel, there's a little backdrop that we have to understand. Joel wrote this in a time where it was around 930 B.C. It was when King Solomon had just died. King Solomon was a king over Israel, the whole region, the nation of Israel. And in 930 B.C., when King Solomon died, there was a civil war in Israel. And within that civil war, after that was over, the kingdom, the kingdom of Israel was, was split into two kingdoms. 
On the northern side was the kingdom of Israel. On the southern side was the kingdom of Judah. And on the northern side, 200 years later, was invaded because of their sin, because of the way that they've been disobedient to God, because they didn't listen, because they were stubborn, because they argued, because they worshiped false gods. Uh, there was a, pro- a prophet that said, okay, uh, northern kingdom, Israel, you better watch out because something's going to happen to you. And there was a prophecy. And, and 200 years later, that prophecy came true where the Assyrians, uh, which would be uh, modern-day probably Syria, northern Iraq, the, the Assyrians would come and they conquered the northern kingdom. And not only did they conquer the northern kingdom, the land, but they also took the, the Jews from the northern kingdom into exile, into Assyria. Now we get back to Joel, and Joel, his job, God called him to be a prophet for the southern kingdom who hasn't been invaded yet. And so Joel's primary message to the southern kingdom of Judah uh, is this. It says, you better watch out. You guys are missing the point. You guys are acting and behaving just like your northern counterparts. And if you're not careful, the same thing that, will ha- that has happened to the northern kingdom will happen here in Judah. And actually, spoiler alert, several hundred years later, it, it happened, right? Babylon, which was on the more southern end, more towards southern modern-day Iraq, came, conquered Judah, and actually took uh, the Jews into exile during that time. And so when Joel wrote this, the first half of the book is about an incident that just happened. Uh, And if you've read Joel chapter 1, chapter 2, there's this uh, infestation of locusts. And here in Joel chapter 1, verse 4, it says, What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. The locust during this time was relentless. This was a real thing that was happening during this time. They would have these invasions of, of locusts, of these grasshoppers. Uh, and if you've ever been camping, you know, you get these mosquitoes and, and there's bugs everywhere. This goes beyond that. This was much greater than just a bug issue. It was a complete invasion of locusts. It was a cataclysmic. It was basically a natural disaster when these locusts would come. It would kill all the crops, so all the soup. Uh, sources for food. It would deplete the great harvest, so no more wine. And for some of us, we understand the pains. There would be no more wine. Uh, It would decimate the entire forest. It would destroy fresh water sources. It was absolutely chaos when locusts would come and overrule uh, a a particular part of the region. So that was about the first half. In the second half, Joel is saying, hey, you think this was bad? You think the northern kingdom being sent to exile is bad? You think that the locust taken over is bad? In the second chapter and third chapter, Joel says, there's gonna be something greater. There's gonna be something bigger that's gonna happen due to your sin, due to your veering off, due to the, the decisions that you've made in your life as followers of God. And essentially, the devastation of the locust, what Joel is saying, let that be a warning shot. 
because something greater and more terrible is going to happen. God is going to allow something to happen because you're not paying attention. So Joel is saying to his people, see all this, the water source is taken, the food is going away, the crops are gone, people are dehydrated, people are dying. Do you see this? Wake up. In the next verse, chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 5, it says, literally it says, wake up. And some other translations will say, pay attention. All this is due to disobedience. You see what's happening. And I can imagine the people, the Jews of that time, hearing the message of Joel saying, I hear you, Joel. Man, things are messed up. Man, somebody must have really done bad. Man, somebody else must have really ticked God off. Or somebody else must have really veered off. And Joel's message is saying, that's you. Wake up, you're missing the signs of living in a relationship that's far apart from God, that's, that's hurting your relationships with others, not only with God, but with others. Where your decisions, your unhealthy and toxic decisions are hurting your own soul. Do you see it? Do you see what you're doing to yourself is what Joel is saying. What are the signs that you might be missing? That something is just out of sync. And I can almost promise you for all of us that there are things going on that we're completely blinded to. You know, there's questions of how's your relationships? How's your marriage? <clears throat> Oftentimes people will come to me uh, you know, after, after a breakup, after a divorce, or whatever it is, uh, and one party will say, man, it was so sudden. I didn't even see it coming. It was out of the blue. And then the other party will say, I've been trying to tell him for years. But he was missing the signs of the ways he was disrupting the relationship. Maybe it's friendships. <laughs> Maybe you're one of those where nobody wants to hang out with you. Maybe that's a sign. There's something going on in the way you treat others. Maybe it's your finances. And you seem to be asking, why am I having financial problems month after month, week after week, day after day? Maybe it's in your job. You're just not satisfied. Nothing can satisfy you. <clears throat> Wake up. It's probably signs and indications where you need to pay attention, where I need to pay attention to realign ourselves, to get right back on track with God. And again, Joel says the remedy, the remedy is, again, this word, repent, repentance. And so in reality, when we look at the entirety of the Old Testament, uh, there isn't an actual word for the word repent. <clears throat> if you look in the, there is in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, there isn't an actual word that translates to repent. Instead, there's this Hebrew word called shuv. And a literal translation of shuv is to turn or, or to return. That is that is what shuv means. And that was the understanding of the Old Testament, of the Hebrews, of what repentance was. Uh, it was this idea of whichever, it was literally physically a turning around. And they, they use the word shuv is in other places in the Old Testament where literally somebody is walking one direction, they shuv, they turn, and return or walk to another. 
And that's the idea of repentance is what Joel is saying. Shuv, return. Turn from which direction that you're going and return to the Lord. See, and again, the, the word repentance has been kind of hijacked. <clears throat> but it was never, never supposed to be used to invoke fear. The call to repentance, and I want you to hear this, call to repentance is never a threat. It's never a threat. It's always an invitation. A call to repentance is never a threat. It's an invitation. <clears throat> it's an invitation to shuv. It's an invitation to return. Come back is what God is saying. Come back with me and to me. And again, this idea of repentance, we'll go through this, requires lament, confession, and hope. And see, a lot of us are really good at one of those. We're really good at either at lamenting, at just feeling horrible, just being really sad for our sins and the things that we've done and the ways that we've hurt people. We're really good at lamenting. Some of us, we, we're terrible at lamenting, but we're really good at confessing. We're really good at confessing. Here's what I've done. Here's what I did. And, and for some of us, we're really good at being hopeful, which isn't bad. But we live in this place of just hope. And, and let me just tell you, lament alone leads to shame. Confession alone leads to hypocrisy. And just having hope alone leads to self-righteousness. Repentance is an ecosystem that needs all three for it to be true, true, turn, shoot, return to God. And so when we talk about <clears throat> lament, <clears throat> excuse me, throughout Joel, he exhorts a community to lament. He says, you must lament the ways that you have hurt and disobeyed God, the way that you've hurt others. You must lament, meaning acknowledge, <clears throat> acknowledge the places that you have veered off. Acknowledge the places where you have hurt people and you've disturbed relationship. And not only do you acknowledge that, but there should be a sense of mourning, of sadness, of grief because of that, because of the decisions that we've made that have hurt others, that have hurt yourself, that have hurt your relationship with God, there should be a sense where it just tears us up inside. Not to live there, but to experience and to feel that. In chapter one, again, Joel chapter one, verse eight, it says, lament like a virgin dressed in sackcloth for the husband of her youth. This is a very <clears throat> specific way of Joel saying, this is how you should feel. This is how torn up you should feel. In this very specific example, he says, he says like this, like imagine, imagine this scenario. So first of all, we have to know that anytime there's death or mourning or funerals, people would wear sackcloths. Uh, it it kind of looks like a potato sack uh, made out of oftentimes camel, camel hair or goat hair and they would cut a hole, and they would literally wear it. And this was an indication that they were in mourning. Someone that they love uh, had just died. And, and so he says, this is the way you should feel. He says, you should feel like a, a virgin, so basically a young woman who was engaged as a young child to a man to be married when they have, have grown up, when they're adults. And so you can imagine they were getting to know each other, they were courting, they were engaged, and years after years, finally the day has come where they were to get married and the man dies. 
Can you imagine how torn up that woman would be? There was so much hope in this relationship to be. There was so much love. There was so much investment. There was so much looking forward to the future, and bam, he's gone. She would be so torn up. She would be so hurt. She would be so angry even. There would be so much emotion going inside of her. And what Joel is saying, like that, like that, that is how you should feel when you understand and acknowledge your sins, the way we've hurt ourselves and hurt God and hurt others. And what we have to know is that when we turn to God in our time of lament, we must know what we're turning away from. See, when we lament the ways that we've hurt others, what we're saying is, all right, we're going to take this to God. We're going to turn, we're going to shoot towards God. But when we go to this direction, don't be fooled. We must know what we're leaving behind. In order for there to be true remorse, in order for there to be this true pain and grief of what we've done, we can't just move forward and pretend it never happened. We have to understand the pain that we've caused the hurt that we've done. Then we move forward. Then we understand. Let me put it this way. Have you ever, have you ever said I'm sorry to somebody without really knowing what you're sorry for? You just say sorry because you want to get out of trouble, right? You want to just move on. You want the other person, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend. You say, I'm sorry uh, for, for, for what I've done, and you don't really know. You just want to put it behind you, and you want to just go back to being in a good relationship. So it goes something like this. You'd go to the person, and you would say, honey or friend, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. And, and then in return, the person would say, <clears throat> Oh, for what? Right? We've all experienced this. And then your response is, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm really sorry. I don't know what I'm sorry for, but I don't know. And instead of making things better, as a matter of fact, things get a little worse. As a matter of fact, things get a lot worse, and all of a sudden the relationship is even more further torn apart. Because you don't know what you're sorry for. You haven't really owned the way you've hurt somebody. You haven't really taken your responsibility. You, don't, you have no clue what just happened. There isn't a true lament when we do that. And so part of repentance, a part of shuv, of turning around, returning to God, to be in sync with God, we have to understand and grieve the thing that we've done that made us steer and veer off. See, we can't just go through the emotions. In chapter 2, verse 13, it says, rend your heart, not your clothing. Rend your heart. Give, God is saying, give me your whole heart. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just, so in this time, when you were repenting, when you're sorry, I don't know why, don't ask me why, but they would strip off all their clothes. And they would say, God, I'm so sorry, forgive me. And God is saying, don't just go through the motions. Give me your whole heart. Some of us were going through the motions of being a Christian, of being in a relationship with God. And God is saying, give me all of you. Turn from the things that hinder your relationship with me. Second, we have confession. Confession is part of this ecosystem of repentance. 
And confession, this idea of confession is something that uh, churches and Christians for centuries have been practicing. And, and here's what I love about confession. Confession, confession helps us not to fool ourselves. Confession helps us to not fool ourselves about ourselves. Confession helps us not to fool ourselves about ourselves, that we are in need, that we are broken. And saying it out loud, saying it in our hearts, saying it to somebody, just owning it says, I need a God. I'm not, who am I kidding? And I love what uh, this old, older theologian, some of, it, some of you might know his name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he says this about confession. He says, in confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and, cl- and closed isolation of the heart. Sin must be brought into the light. What is unspoken is said openly and confessed. All that is secret and hidden comes to light. It is a hard struggle until sin crosses one's lips in confession. Since the confession of sin is made in the presence of another Christian, so Bonhoeffer's talking about confessing to one another, <clears throat> the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. I'll read that again. The last stronghold, in confession, the last stronghold of self-justification, self-righteousness is left alone. It's abandoned. The sinner surrenders, giving up all evil, giving the sinner's heart to God and finding forgiveness of all one's sin in the community of Jesus and others. Sin that has been spoken and confessed has lost all its power. It has been revealed and judged as sin. It no longer tears apart the self or the community. And I love what Bonhoeffer says. That is, there's an action. Confession isn't just saying it out loud, but it's a commitment to change. Confession is, a, is an outward expression of an inward commitment. And that commitment is to change, to do something about it. Because admitting something over and over again doesn't give you license or justification to keep going. I mean, have you ever met somebody that apologized all the time about the same thing over and over and over again, and finally you're just saying, well, do something about it. Confession is about saying something and doing something about it. Do you need to confess? Have you hurt somebody? Have you been angry with God, with a family member, with those around you, a spouse, a friend? Confess and be free. There's something so liberating about confession. It no longer has a stronghold on you. Confess. Maybe today's a day. So repentance is about lament. It's about confession. And will end. It, it, it includes hope. It always includes hope. And I'll read uh, chapter 2, verse 23 to 27. It says this. As you understand the way you've hurt somebody, have offended God, offended others, uh, he says this. He says, O children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, 
the early and the later rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain, and the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. The things that were all destroyed by the locust because of that. But since you've repented, because of your confession, because of your lament, I give you hope that I have not left you, that I have not abandoned you, that I forgive you, that as you turn to me, I walk with you. There is forgiveness, there's transformation. And that sin and death does not have the last word. Sin does not have the last word. And so many times, we're so good at lament, we're even good at confession, but we're not really good at hope. Oh, this is it, it's too late for me. Do you know what I've done? Do you know the pain that I've caused others? Do you know the bad decisions that I've made? Oh man, I, I lament that. I feel so bad for it. Uh, it just tears me up inside that I can actually do something like that. And I confess it. I say it out loud. But there's no way God's going to forgive me. There's no way that I can be loved. And, and so many times as we write our stories, as we live life, we think that God uses a period. I, I've said this before. We, we feel like God uses a period, like an end of the story. Boom, it's over, period. When in fact, God oftentimes doesn't use a period. God uses a comma. God says, your story is not over yet. There's hope. And I'm gonna invite the worship team back up. And this is gonna be a time where where we respond. And it's a response that I invite you to take an inventory. Where in the places do we need to repent. And again, repentance isn't just this thing that we do when we're bad. is isn't just this thing that we do so we don't tick off God. What are the places in our lives where we just have to turn and return to our first love, to God? Where in the places do we need to lament to make that happen? Or do we need to confess? Maybe this is your time of confession. Or maybe this is a time of prayer, of hope. May that be right now in our time of response. I'm also going to invite the communion service forward. And as you respond in that, and when you're ready, I want you to come, that the table is for everybody to receive the bread and the juice, the blood of Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he says, take this bread in remembrance of me. This is my body that was broken for you. Take this cup and drink of it. This is my blood that was shed for you. Turn towards Christ. Christ is for you. Christ's death and resurrection is so that you can choose, so you can return. And that blood that was shed on that cross covers all the multitudes of sin. It says there's nothing, nothing on this earth, nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of God. Not your sins, not the way you've hurt others, not the way you've hurt yourself, not the way you've ticked off God. Nothing can separate you the love of God. Do you know why? Because that cross, because Jesus' sacrifice has covered it all, and he says, it is finished.
So as we respond in our time of inventory, of, of prayer, of reflection, of God, where do I need to confess? Where do I need to lament? God, I need hope. Help me. I invite you to stand and receive communion. God's way of saying, I love you and I'm for you, no matter what. And I love in verse five, it says, even now, even now, and you can fill in the blank, even now, forgiveness is available. Even now, the cross has put to death your shame. Even now, God's love is available for you. Even now, you can experience freedom. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your forgiveness, for your warm embrace that when we veer off by decisions, by lifestyle, by whatever it is, by the way we heard the decisions, even when we do that, we shoo, we return to you and you embrace us with open arms and we thank you for that forgiveness, that compassion. And may this morning be a time where we just realign ourselves, get in sync with you. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your death. We thank you for resurrection. We celebrate that with the communion today. In your name we pray, amen.